It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Wonderful names were bestowed on the Son of God at his entrance into this world that powerfully reveal his nature, his identity, and his purpose. Amazingly, as his identity unfolded, the future identity of those who would become sons and daughters in the kingdom of God unfolded as well because our names and titles are directly tied to his names and titles. See, we are reproducing the image of the Son of God in the earth, and it started at the very beginning. Now, this revelation was birthed in me recently, and it brought a level of excitement that was fresh and new concerning the story of the advent of the Lord, the first advent, his coming in the little manger scene in Bethlehem. And I believe it will bless you as well. So prepare for your heart to be lifted as we discover how his coming lifted the human race from degradation to elevation. He elevated us to a position of being not sons of darkness and sons of the devil, but sons of light and sons of God. Thank God for that. Let's start with that beloved passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And of course, that was an echo of Isaiah 7:14, where that prophecy originally appeared. So his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And when God came down to our level to be with us, he did so to lift us up to his level so that we could abide with him forever and be changed into his image. Now, one thing that I think is very important to focus on concerning that prophecy, that he was born of a virgin, a cardinal belief in Christianity, cannot be discarded or you have entered into apostasy. Why is it so important that the Messiah be born of a virgin? Because had he been the product of a union between a man and a woman, his blood would have been tainted and he would have been contaminated with the original sin because Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that as, as one man became the channel through which sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death spread to all men. So what does that mean? It means that all the offspring of Adam inherited a sin nature from our natural forefather and death followed close on its heels. Mental death, emotional death, spiritual death, physical death, and ultimately eternal death as a result. But see, because Jesus was born of a virgin, 
He was not an heir of original sin, neither was he contaminated with this horrible invasion of death into every area of his being. So he came down as the example of a heavenly being to make us partakers of a heavenly calling, to be wrenched free from the grips of the lower nature and brought up into the divine nature. Thank God for that. Emmanuel, God with us. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This says, Behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, I'm convinced that the wise men actually were not there at the stable. They were not there when Jesus was first born into this world because they came to his home, and that was in Nazareth. And so I tend to believe that they visited the Christ child when he was one or two years old. We can't exactly pinpoint it, but they came to Nazareth, not to Bethlehem. However, I know I'm messing with your manger scenes, and you can keep it the way it is if you'd like. But my main, most important point is that they said he is king of the Jews. Now that's a title that followed him all the way through to his death because on the cross it was written that he was king of the Jews. Well, who are those people that qualified to be called Jews? Well, of course, Jews mean the literal offspring of Abraham. Actually, in the very beginning when that word was used, it meant just those who were of the tribe of Judah. And incidentally, the word Judah means praise. So the word Jew, because it's drawn from the word Judah, means praise. Praise. And you can use that to mean we are a people of praise. We are a nation ordained of God to give him praise in this world. What a wonderful title to bear. But then eventually it was used not just to describe the offspring of Judah, that one tribe of Israel, but it came to be a word that was used for all of Israel. But now it has been bumped up to a spiritual sphere as well. Because Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29 says, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so a true Jew is someone who has a circumcised heart, whether it be a man or a woman, whether it be a Jewish person or a Messianic Jew or a Gentile that's been grafted into Israel through the born-again experience. I don't believe in replacement theology. I do not believe we have replaced the Jewish people, the Israelite people, but I do believe that we have been grafted in to become heirs of the titles and the inheritance that was passed to them. So we are Jews by adoption. Whether we be Messianic Jews or Gentiles who have been brought in to the family of God, if we have a circumcised heart, if the world and carnality has been cut away from us, 
then we become people of praise, people who learn how to praise God no matter what we're facing in life. He was the king of the Jews, and he praised God right up to the cross because the Bible said when he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, he sang a song with them. It's the only recorded time in Scripture we have where Jesus sang. And most likely, he sang the songs that were traditionally sung during the Passover feast, which were the Psalms. A psalm is a song. And Psalm 113 through 118 were sung on Passover night. And Psalm 118 was the climax of the night. And in that psalm, there are many prophecies about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. For instance, there's a line in there that says, the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner. And then right after that, it says, this is the Lord's doing, so it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So Jesus walked into the gaping mouth of death, rejoicing, because he knew the outcome. He knew that it would purchase resurrection promises for every single one of us that we would one day be fully resurrected into his glorious image. He was the king of the Jews, the king of those who learn how to praise God no matter what is happening in their lives. Isn't that awesome? Now let's go to a very beloved passage of scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Always quoted this time of year. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Think of that, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That means that the universe will have to be infinitely expanding in one way or another, either physically or spiritually, for his governing authority to increase, the sphere over which he maintains authority, then that sphere of influence needs to be increased. And of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. Right when you think you've experienced the greatest depth of peace that heaven could provide, God will plunge you into a deeper expression of that divine tranquility. Think of that. That's why the relationship will never get boring. God will always be increasing within himself new expressions of his own character and nature. But look at the names that were given to him in the incarnation. And I want you to notice the very beginning that says, unto us a child is born and a son is given. It's worded a little bit differently because the son was not born. The son existed prior to the incarnation. The child was born. He had never come in the form of a child before, 
but he has always been the image of the invisible God. From eternity past to eternity future, he is the everlasting word of God that was with God in the beginning and was God. And so the child was born, but the son was given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now I'm going to emphasize the last three names of those five. When he becomes your wonderful counselor, he counsels you how to come into his divine nature and live according to those principles and transfers to you the nature exemplified in these titles. For instance, he's referred to as the mighty God, even when he was a child, he's the mighty God. Think of that. And in Psalm 29, and verse one, you and I are referred to as the mighty. Even when we're newly born into the kingdom, we qualify as the mighty. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, it says. Isn't that fantastic? You may feel weak and vulnerable and defeated, but God said you're among the mighty. And the Bible says, wake up the mighty man. Let the weak say, I am strong. One way you wake up this nature of mightiness is to declare, I am stronger than every demon coming against me. I am stronger than the lower nature. I am stronger than anything the world throws at me. I am stronger than the failures of my own past. I can crawl out of the pit and begin a new day. Praise God, you are among the mighty because the Bible said God has given you weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are established areas of negative thinking in your mind because that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five goes on to say, bringing every thought into captivity. See, that's how you overcome these strongholds. They're areas of negative thinking that have been built up in your psyche, in your mind for years and decades sometimes, you've got to overcome that negativity, that unbelief, that fear, using negative words all the time, lapsing into negative attitudes of heart. Instead, wake up the mighty man because you've inherited mightiness from the child that was laying in a little manger that even in his vulnerable state was the mighty God. And then the Bible said, that he was the everlasting father. He was the expression of the father to us, the personalization of the father to us. So much so that he said, he who has seen me has seen my father. If you want to see the love of the father, look at the love that was expressed through the son because it's an exact reproduction. He was the character of the father expressed in the realm of time. Well, what did we inherit from him in that area? Because if he was called the everlasting father, what have we drawn from that status? We have become an everlasting people. In fact, Proverbs 10, 25 refers to us in the King James Version as an everlasting foundation. 
God is building on his born-again, blood-washed people of the new covenant, a bride and a church and a body that are going to make up an eternal city that we will dwell in forevermore called New Jerusalem. So we are the foundation of something God is doing in this world that is not confined to time. It transcends time into eternity. That's why we're called an everlasting foundation. We're also referred to as an everlasting people, an everlasting priesthood, and a people who have inherited everlasting joy, everlasting love, everlasting peace, everlasting life, praise God. And the word everlasting just means it lasts. No matter whether you go through down times or up times, negative times or positive times, difficult times or wonderful times, you have an everlasting confidence in God that his purpose and plan are going to unfold in your life. Then the last of five names attributed to him in Isaiah chapter nine is the Prince of Peace. I love the Hebrew words translated Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, because the word Shalom means more than just peace or tranquility. It is a wonderfully, powerfully prophetic word that Jews use when they greet each other and depart from each other's presence. Gentiles tend to say hi and bye, which are powerless words. But Jews, Israelites say shalom, which is a prophetic proclamation and prayer over that person that means may God make you healthy in body, mind, soul, and spirit. May he produce wholeness in your life, prosperity in every area of your life. Shalom means peace. Shalom means nothing broken and nothing missing. And he is the prince of peace. And he sent us forth into this world to bear his peace to others. In fact, we are referred to as sons of peace as well. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In other words, we will reflect the nature of our father because spiritually, in a genetic spiritual sense, he's transferred his peace to us so that we can make peace in a world devoid of its presence far too often. And so we carry shalom with us everywhere we go. The Prince of Peace reigns within our hearts. And when that title was given to him as a little babe in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, he came into a war-torn world to produce peace. And now that he's departed, he says to us, occupy until I come. In other words, you be the peace producers. You be the carriers of shalom to a weary and war-torn world. Praise God. And he said, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Well, part of the way that peace is increasing now is through a body of Christ that is global in scope, multiplied millions of born-again believers that are spreading his peace and spreading his governing authority so that he can rule and reign over people's lives and bring them into the peace of God. Hallelujah. What wonderful, wonderful truths. And not only are we an everlasting priesthood and an everlasting foundation, Psalm 24 in poetical, metaphorical language refers to us as everlasting doors. Isn't that interesting? 
The scripture is, lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts who is mighty in battle. Well, yes, that's referring to the way the gates of a city can be lifted up so a returning king can come in, but it's symbolic language too about you and me because we are everlasting doors. We lift up the door of our hearts. He did say, I stand at the door and knock, and we open the door so that the king of glory can come in, and he can come into a life that is filled with praise, and he can usher us into everlasting things. So praise God. Consider yourself that. Realize that Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. But now you've taken on his image and everywhere you go, whether it's Walmart or a, a, another grocery store or maybe Walgreens or something like that, you're walking up and down the aisles to get things you need, but you are a door to eternity. You are a portal to the things of God. And when people meet you, they come in contact with someone who has an enormously important role in this world. Praise God. Now, I'm just going to go into one more, and then I'm going to reserve the rest of the names given to Jesus in the incarnation to next week's program, but I'm going to end with uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, the little baby in Bethlehem is going to be a ruler pronounced over him. And a Gentile king wanted to kill him right away and sent his soldiers out to slaughter all those from two years old and under in order to stop this one from ruling. But if heaven ordains that you rule, hellish assaults cannot change that divine ordination. Think of that. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, even him whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. That's probably the strongest scripture that reveals that there was a pre-incarnate Christ who was a manifestation of the Godhead over and over and over again in Old Testament times. His goings forth from heaven to earth, have been from of old, even from everlasting. And so he's always been the expression of the Godhead to his people in this world. But why was he born in Bethlehem? The word Bethlehem means house of bread. That means family of bread. The word house means a family or a household. So why was he born in Bethlehem? That's just a little ways down the road from Jerusalem. Why not that thriving and important city, Jerusalem, that was the joy of the whole earth, because I believe Jesus wanted to relate to common people. And there was a lot of pride associated with Jerusalem. And if there's anything he came into the world with, it was an excessive amount of humility and meekness. He wanted to be born in a meek and humble setting so that he could relate to the meek and humble of the earth. Isn't that an amazing factor about God's personality? 
And he relates to us when we have meekness and humility because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. How do we inherit that particular aspect of what Jesus was when he came into the world? Well, house of bread means family of bread. So the one who later on said, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me shall never hunger. He who drinks of me shall never thirst. I am the living bread come down from heaven. He has also awakened within us a bread-like status. Bread exists not for itself, but for the sole purpose of nourishing the bodies of those who are hungry and in need of nutrition. And see, the whole world is starving, starving, starving for the truth. And Jesus was the bread of life when he was here, and he's still the bread of life for all ages afterward. But he has brought us into the same calling because in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that we are one bread with him. All the body of Christ is one bread with him. So we have inherited a bread-like status. We exist to nourish the hearts of others who are very hungry for truth. And we give our life away just like bread gives itself away in a sense, symbolically, poetically. Bread gives itself away for the benefit of others. So that's what we're called to do as well. And remember, the Bible said in, uh, in the scripture we just read, Isaiah chapter 9, that he also came to order and establish the kingdom of David with judgment and with justice forever. And I believe you and I are called to continue bringing the divine order into this world. I hope you join me on Christmas Eve because we're going to continue this. And there are some wonderful titles that came into revelation, into existence with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the essence of those titles have been transferred to us as well. Much more to be said. I look forward to joining you again. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.